Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash words for granted. For just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. For not that much more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing, but you'd still like to help keep this show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Rob for his recent contribution. With that, let's get right on to today's episode, part three in a series on kinship terms. In 1903, the mathematicians Carl Pearson and Alice Lee published an academic paper entitled On the Laws of Inheritance in Man. While On the Laws of Inheritance in Man is best known as one of the earliest works of evolutionary statistics, the reason why it's relevant to our story today is due to its usage of one particular word. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, Pearson and Lee's paper is the earliest work to introduce one of the most basic kinship terms into the English language. That word is sibling. Perhaps I should say to reintroduce. Sibling is actually an Old English word, but at the time of Pearson and Lee's publication, it had been dormant for practically a thousand years. If you were to go back in time to the turn of the 20th century and ask a person on the street if they had any siblings, or even if they knew what siblings were, they would have looked at you as if you were crazy. This might be hard for us to wrap our heads around in 2019 because sibling seems like such a basic word, but it's true. Before we consider why a pair of evolutionary statisticians from the early 20th century would revive a long-dead Old English word, Let's take a look at that word in its Old English context first and explore its etymology. The Old English sibling was a compound word comprising sib, which meant related or akin, and the suffix ling, which meant a resident or inhabitant of. As a single word, sibling meant a relative or kin. This, of course, is different from the definition of sibling today, which is a brother or a sister with at least one parent in common. Pearson and Lee's revival of the word altered its meaning, but we'll talk more about that later on. In Old English, that root word sib was also used to mean happiness or friendship. Furthermore, it served as a word-forming element in a handful of other Old English compounds such as sibsumnes, meaning peace or harmony, sibion, meaning to come together or reconcile, and sibkose, meaning kiss of peace, which was an ancient customary Christian greeting. 
If we trace Sib all the way back to the Proto-Indo-European language, that is, the prehistoric mother tongue of most of the languages ranging from Europe to South Asia, Sib ultimately derives from the reconstructed word Sue, meaning self or one's own. Sway is actually the ultimate source of the modern English word self, making sibling and self cognates. Etymologically, the ling suffix in sibling is also the same ling found in words such as earthling, youngling, and darling. Ling was a common suffix in Old English, but by Middle English, and consequently in Modern English, it has largely disappeared except in these few words that I just mentioned. In around the 12th century, the ling suffix actually disappeared from sibling itself, leaving behind just sib. This truncated word sib, which still meant a relative or kin, remained in usage throughout Middle English and even into Early Modern English, though today it's a largely archaic or literary word. However, in the field of anthropology, Sib has acquired a specialized meaning referring to members of unilateral descent within a family tree. Unilateral descent is just a fancy way of saying on one side of the family. In case you ever wanted to know, the technical term for relatives descended on your father's side is patricibs, and the technical term for relatives descended on your mother's side is matricibs. Although Sib isn't part of our common vocabulary these days, it does actually survive hidden in the etymology of gossip, a word whose modern meaning has nothing to do with descent or kinship whatsoever. The word god-sib was an early form of the word godparent. By early modern English, the d in god-sib had eroded and its b shifted to a p, thus producing the word gossip. In the Christian tradition, a godparent is appointed by a child's biological parents as the person responsible for a child's religious education. Naturally, a godparent is friends with the biological parents of their godchild, so during the 14th century, godsib came to be used colloquially as a word for good friend. Just as good friends do today, Medieval godsibs talked to each other about pointless things, and by the mid-16th century, gossip came to mean a person who engages in pointless talk. The word then came to describe women who shared among themselves all the latest rumors and local scandals, usually at the occasion of childbirths. This is where the modern sense of the word comes from, though nowadays gossip as a noun tends to refer to the rumors and scandals themselves, not to the people talking about them. The use of gossip as an intransitive verb with its modern meaning, to informally talk about other people in their private lives, appears for the first time in none other than Macbeth, so Shakespeare gets credit for popularizing that usage. So, now that we've covered a brief overview of the development of the Old English sibling and its derivatives prior to the 20th century, let's turn to the sense of sibling most familiar to us, the sense introduced by Carl Pearson and Alice Lee. In On the Inheritance in Man, Pearson and Lee write, quote, The calculations of these genes will enable us to predict the probable character in any individual from a knowledge of one or more parents or brethren, end quote. Then in parentheses, after the last word of the sentence, it says, quote, siblings equal 
brothers or sisters, end quote. While unassuming, that is indeed the first time in the written record that sibling is used as a gender-neutral kinship term describing brothers and sisters. Let's pause here for a moment and consider that word brethren. Historically, brethren, which is actually an archaic plural form of the word brother, was sometimes used as a gender-neutral term inclusive of brothers and sisters. However, it's not exactly the best word for that job, since it literally meant brothers. This gender-neutral usage of brethren is similar to the gender-neutral usage of man or mankind. 50% of mankind is actually womankind. Presumably, Pearson and Lee recognize the technical inaccuracy of brethren as a gender-neutral term for brothers or sisters, and instead of going along with a long-standing turn of phrase, they reintroduce the word sibling into our language. However, given what we know about the history of the word sibling in Old English, Pearson and Lee's definition of the word in On the Laws of Inheritance in Man isn't historically accurate. Remarkably, they don't explain in their work why they chose this particular word as the gender-neutral term for brothers and sisters. No contextual commentary, no explanatory footnotes, the extent of their commentary is the small parenthetical aside, which I've already quoted. To restate it, it merely says, quote, siblings equal brothers or sisters, end quote. I'm not sure what to make of the casualness of this aside and their lack of commentary. Generally, when academic writers introduce new terminology into their field, it's very deliberately, not matter-of-factly. This could imply that sibling was a term that had been floating around in academic circles prior to the publication of their paper, thus making it familiar, and thus not requiring a more full-fledged exposition, given the intended audience, but the reality is I don't know. As always, I encourage you to send me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com if you know something that I don't. I'll share it on the next episode and give you a shout-out. And now... A quick word from today's sponsor. Words for Granted is a proud member of the CLNS Media Network, and today's episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Do you consider yourself a lifelong learner? Do you enjoy learning at your own pace anytime, anywhere? If so, then you really should check out The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus offers unlimited video access to academic lecture series by some of the world's leading professors. This is college-level learning, but without the pressure of homework, grades, and, right, student loans. With the Great Courses Plus app, you can stream or download their entire video library onto your phone. While the guy next to you on the train is playing a video game on his phone, you can be catching up on that college course that you always wish you had taken. I recommend checking out the course History of the English Language, a 36-video-long series that traces English from prehistory all the way to the modern internet age. Some broad topics include What did the Normans do to English? The Great Vowel Shift? Renaissance Attitudes Toward Teaching English? And The Politics of Language Study? For a limited time, The Great Courses Plus is offering listeners of this show one free month of unlimited access to their entire library. To claim your free month, you'll need to sign up through my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash words. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash words. 
Really, it's my pleasure to have the opportunity to share this deal with you, so don't miss out. TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash words. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. In the two decades following Pearson and Lee's paper, sibling continued to be used as a technical term in the fields of anthropology, psychology, and, of course, genetics. However, it remained a largely obscure word to the general public. Then, from the mid-1920s onward, its usage among lay people began to steadily increase. According to the data in Google's Ngram statistics, the usage of sibling exponentially increased by about 50% per decade from 1930 to 2000. I find it odd and fascinating that a kinship term that today seems totally normalized and mainstream would have been an academic and intellectual term during my grandparents' lifetime. Before we wrap up this discussion, let's take a look at the etymologies of brother and sister. Brother and sister are old words whose roots go all the way back to the Proto-Indo-European language. Linguists have reconstructed the Proto-Indo-European words for brother and sister as brechter and suesor. Given the approximately 5,000 years of separation between Proto-Indo-European and modern English, these words show a high degree of linguistic conservatism, which makes sense considering they're part of our core vocabulary. Basic and necessary words such as numbers, family members, body parts, and so on, tend to resist drastic linguistic changes over time, since they're among the first words that get taught to children. Unlike mama and papa words from around the world, which we looked at in the last two episodes, words for brother and sister don't share universal cross-linguistic characteristics. However, within the Indo-European languages, these prehistoric root words brechter and suesor are widely distributed. In Latin, the initial B sound of brechter shifted to an F sound, producing the word frater, from which we've inherited brotherly words such as fraternal, fraternity, and fratricide, all of which, of course, are cognate with brother itself. Interestingly, Indo-European languages only have one word for brother and one word for sister. There are no distinct words for older brother or sister, or younger brother or sister, whereas in many non-Indo-European languages, a linguistic distinction between siblings based on age is common. Unsurprisingly, we can trace this lack of distinction back to Proto-Indo-European itself, which seems to have had only one brother word and one sister word. In some Indo-European languages, such as Greek, Celtic, and Slavic, that prehistoric root word brechter was inherited as kinsman, relative, or cousin, which, you'll recall, is the same general meaning that sibling originally came to have in Old English. This has led some linguists to believe that the original meaning of brechter in Proto-Indo-European may have had a broader meaning including brother and all blood relatives alike. In Indo-European languages where the meaning of brechter came to be limited to brother, which was most of them, including the Germanic language family to which Old English belongs, new words had to be developed to specifically refer to relatives or kinsmen, hence the emergence of the Old English sense of sibling. While we can't break down the Proto-Indo-European brechter into smaller root words, we can take a crack at suesor, 
that Proto-Indo-European word for sister. One etymology claims suesor is a compound combining sue, meaning self, and esher, meaning blood, implying that a sister is a woman made from the same blood as one's self. A second etymology claims suesor is a compound combining sue, again meaning self, and sor, which was a grammatically feminine noun-forming suffix in the Proto-Indo-European language. Regardless of which etymology is correct, they both include that root sway, which you'll recall is also the root of the words sib, sibling, and self. Although it's not evident to us today, the words sibling, sister, self, and let's not forget about gossip, are all distantly related kin, or sibs, sharing a mutual Proto-Indo-European ancestor. Okay, if you love the show, I'd like to remind you once again that you can sign up to show your support at Patreon. If that's not in your budget, no problem. You can still show your support by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. Trust me, those ratings and reviews really help the show grow, and they give me feedback about what I can do to make the show better. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.